Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Welcome to Dr. Karen Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Today on Love and Life, I have a very special guest discussing a topic I'm extremely passionate about. John Finch of The Father Effect is joining me today. John Finch grew up the youngest of three boys in a suburb of Dallas, where he lost his father to suicide at age 11. As a young man, John did anything he could to avoid confronting the wounds he suffered as a result of being fatherless. His craving for affirmation from a father who was not there to provide it led him to seek that affirmation from the world in many unhealthy ways. It was only when John realized and dealt with the unresolved issues of his father wound that he was able to become truly fulfilled. John's mission is to educate, encourage, and equip men to become the fathers they were created to be and to help men walk in daily awareness of their significant and lifelong influence as fathers. John has been married for 23 years, has three daughters, and lives in Denton, Texas. He is the founder of The Perfect Father Ministries Incorporated and EncouragingDads.com, a community of people from all over the world who share short stories to encourage dads. John Finch, welcome to Love and Life. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Dr. Karen. This has been a, a topic for me that has been one that I'm extremely passionate about for years. My first job when I graduated with my master's was I was a psychotherapist for children in Chicago's foster care system in the South Side. And as you can imagine, I saw firsthand homes that were horribly disrupted. And so it's something that kind of crossed my radar as a young person. I was just 24 years old. You know, i am got my master's in clinical psych. I'm going to go save the world. <laughs> and I saw just the profound effect on kids when there is disruption in the home, and in particular, the lack of a father. And it's something that then carried with me later. I remember being at a conference. So I'm a developmental psychologist. So now I'm back in grad school and um, I'm going to a professional conference. And I remember picking up this book. It's called Life Without Father by David Papineau. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but he's a sociologist that has devoted his entire career to examining the effects of what you sadly experienced firsthand. So it's something I'm really excited to share with Love and Life listeners. So again, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. I, and actually, I haven't heard of that book. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to take a look. I have not, I like you, I've, I can't get enough of the various authors speaking about the issue because it is such a big epidemic. So I'll have to definitely look into that. And now I'd like to take a moment to recognize one of our sponsors that make this podcast possible. The Steel Forest Furniture Company, makers of handcrafted custom steel and wood furniture, amazing tables, wine racks, fire pits, and signs, incredible craftsmanship, made right here in the U.S. in Columbus, Mississippi. Check out their website at steelforestfurniture.com or follow them on Facebook at The Steel Forest Furniture Company. I wanted to start with some of the stats that I learned from your uh, movie. And these stats are probably things that sometimes people have been exposed to before, but just to state them again to kind of set the tone for the importance of the topic we're addressing today. The first one is that kids with absent dads are five times more likely to commit suicide. They are seven times more likely to drop out of school. They are 15 times more likely to commit rape. They are seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teenager. 
24 times more likely to run away, and 15 times more likely to be imprisoned as a teen. So right there, (laughs) when we talk about, like you said, an epidemic, something that is affecting all of us, this seems like we can't overstate the importance of of this topic. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, when I first started doing this and first started really digging into the issue as a result of my own issue, and once I had found forgiveness and, and my life really began to change, I, I talked about the epidemic, and, and it's such a much bigger epidemic than most realize. And when I saw these stats, for example, when I was originally doing some research, when I saw these stats, I just, I literally just sat and stared at them. And I was overwhelmed with just how big of an issue it is that we have here. And again, it's trying to bring voice to this issue because so many people have no idea that it is such a big issue. And, and a lot of people, even in this idea of a father wound that I talk about in the book and the movie, there's many, many people that don't even understand or know that they have one. A lot of them are a result of, of a fatherlessness nation and, and the things that we uh, are having to deal with as a result of it. Well, I completely agree with you. And this is a great example. So I'm a, I'm 24 years old. I'm a little I'm a young girl going down to the inner city and I'm a therapist and I'm working with kids because they're all kids in child welfare. And I remember one kid, he was my first client. I'll never forget him. He was 11 years old. And he looked at me and he said, Karen, do you have any kids? And I said, well, no. He said, why not? I said, well, I'm not married. He's like, well, you don't like kids. I'm like, no, I like kids. <laughs> I'm not married. I I think raising kids is going to take a lot of work, and I would like to have a partner help me raise kids. But because his world was such that he didn't see a lot of fathers around, it was so striking to him that someone who was an adult woman didn't have children, so that must mean that she didn't like kids, as opposed to that meant that she was waiting to have an intact family. That was foreign to him. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about that is – Tom Lane, who's an executive pastor over at Gateway, which is one of the large churches here in Dallas-Fort Worth, he counsels a lot of individuals and couples for uh, pre-marriage counseling, et cetera. And he said, John, you know, more than once I've had a couple in my office and a young couple that's going to get married. And and I asked the the man, tell me a little bit about your life. And he says, it's amazing the number of young men that will say something similar like, well, you know, I had a no, very normal life. My mom and dad got divorced when I was young, and my dad moved down the street, never much saw him anymore. And he says, you know, it's crazy, but he says that's their normal. And so that's the impact that we as fathers have on our families, the normal that we create. whether If we're abusive verbally or physically, that becomes your kid's normal. And for example, with young ladies, you know, if they see that in the home, growing up with a verbally and physically abusive father, statistics will tell you, and the experts will tell you too, that they're, you know, more than likely she's going to end up marrying some type of abuser herself. And again, it goes back to that what's normal to us is it may not be normal to others, but it's it's our normal. It's what we know. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of a quote that I learned in undergrad in one of my psychology courses. It was probably like family systems course or something. And it was the number one job of a father is to love the mother of his children. 
And mm-hmm. like you were saying, these young women, and that, those are some of the tweets that I love when I, when I come across them and I always retweet them because you talk about the impact the father is demonstrating to that young girl how she should be treated by way of how he treats her mother. And that's powerful. It, it is. You know, it's, it's, we interviewed two counselors within about a week of each other, and neither one of them knew one another. And when I asked the question, what is the best thing a father can do for his children? Both of them, without hesitation, said, love their mother. So I think as men, as, as dads, as husbands, we've got to be reminded of that almost on a daily basis so that we understand and know the tone we use, the body language. I mean, our, all of our kids pick up on that. And so, you know, how we treat our wife, I, I have a quote that I talk about in the book, and it, it says, you know, as a man, husband, and father, I'm setting the standard by which my daughter is going to measure every other man, husband, and father. And so it's very, very profound in the sense that it's very simple, but yet is very, very powerful because it is something that our kids pick up on so very easily. And, and even as a son, you know, we're setting that standard by which he's going to measure himself as a man, husband, and father. So it's, it's very, very uh, important that we as fathers walk in that daily awareness. Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. I'd love to connect with you on social media. On Instagram, I'm at Dr. Karen, D-R-K-A-R-I-N. Here I share my thoughts on love and life through original quotes and images. I'd love to have you join the conversation. On Twitter, I'm at Dr. Karen Anderson. You can find me live tweeting my favorite shows, This Is Us, Will and Grace, and My Guilty Pleasure. All shows Bachelor Nation. On Facebook, I'm at Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. There you can read my blog, see where I'm speaking, and find links to others' podcasts when I'm a guest on their show. You know, and it's kind of related to this other stat. Of all the stats that I saw in your film that I I talked about a few minutes ago, the one that was most surprising to me is that kids with absent dads are 15 times more likely to commit rape. And we're probably talking here about young men because they are more likely to rape than young women. And that's just, again, a stat. It's a reality. And you would think almost because the dad wasn't around and the only adult in the home loving this child was a woman that that young man would have even more adoration for women. And yet, no, not in the sense that some of them anyway are more likely to commit a heinous crime of overpowering a woman and forcing themselves upon her. So there's a little bit of of a disconnect there. But as you've been saying, there's been no model for how to treat a woman in the home. Right. And yeah. And not only that, there's an anger just below the surface mm-hmm. of just about every young man that I've met that's fatherless or has an absent father. Yep. And that anger plays itself out in a number of different ways. And, and I think rape in particular as they get older is just one of those many ways it plays itself out. And, you know, for me, I was, I was a very angry man. Now I didn't, I didn't let my anger play out in that way, but you know, my anger was, deep within and the way I covered it and the way I put a Band-Aid on it, if you will, at least temporarily, was through alcohol. That was my escape and that was my salve, if you will, uh, for the wound that I had. So, you know, everybody, I think, lets that anger play out in different ways. But when you grow up within a certain environment, 
you know, and, and for a lot of kids, that's it's normal that, especially in the inner cities, I mean, they're seeing that uh, all the time in various situations. So it's very, very tragic. It is on so many levels. I want to ask you a little bit more about your personal experience. Again, something else that really struck me from the film was you tell the story of a conversation you had with a friend, kind of talking about your struggles day to day or whatever. And he looked at you and said, you grew up without a dad, didn't you? And you hadn't mentioned not having a dad. And yet he picked up on that. Can you tell us more about that? I I found that really fascinating. You know, we were on the golf course, and it was one of those really turning points of my life. Uh, As we were playing golf, we were neighbors, and we had talked and had just great conversation, you know, late at night sometimes, just standing in the driveway. (laughs) And so uh, we just just had these great conversations about the struggles of life. And and this time on the golf course, we were out playing, and I was just sharing with him a lot of the things I was I was struggling with, a lot of the issues that I had, um, and I could not recall if I'd ever talked to him about growing up with a father without a father or not. But uh, he did respond in that way. He said, "You know, you grew up without a father, didn't you?" And I said, "Yeah." And I went on to give him this, you know, this phenomenal ten minute explanation as to just how amazing my mom is acting as if that couldn't be the issue. And then he responded, but was she a dad? And that's the, that's the one that just hit me upside the head uh, that I, I had never thought about before. And that's when it hit me, you know, as amazing as my mom is, even to this day, she is an angel on this earth. A matter of fact, I just had lunch with her this weekend. Uh, just amazing, amazing lady. And I would be in w- much worse situations or shape right now if it wasn't for her and her love. But as much as she was just an incredible mom, she could not be a dad. She didn't have the tools. And it's just like me trying to expect me as a man to understand what it's like to be a mom. I I just can't do it. And so, uh, you know, it was just very, very important for me to understand and realize that. And that's what then really led me on that journey to find out more about my father. And that's how Eventually, I kind of connected the dots and found this compassion because of the horrific life that he grew up in. And that's what ultimately led me to forgiveness. You know, I've heard it put this way, a woman cannot raise a man. And in our culture nowadays, we get a lot of pushback. So I'll share another experience. My first professorship, I I was at Chicago State University, and I was teaching a developmental course. And a young woman stood up, and she had this very well- a research presentation about the effects of, of father absence. And she went on and on and, and all the stats and all the, the things that we've talked about throughout this episode. And when she was finished with the presentation, there was time for questions. And a lot of young women in the class raised their hand and, and they were very offended. Well, I was raised by a single mom and my dad wasn't around and I turned out great. Look, I'm in college. And, and, and there was a lot of energy about this as if you saying that fathers are important is somehow being disparaging about the great job that my single mom did. And it went on. And finally, as a professor, I had to stop. I said, you know, I said, I said, hold on. I I don't remember the young lady's name, but I said, you know, she's not saying that your mothers did a bad job. That is not the point whatsoever. Your mothers did a great job. But, and I, so I wanted to bring it home to the students. I said, but if you're saying that her research is meaningless. Then you're saying that, and then I pointed to a young man in the in the 
in the class who I knew had a couple kids. I said, then you're saying that, I'll call him Trevor, that Trevor's influence on his children is meaningless. And once I brought it home, they all looked at Trevor and thought, hmm, I'm not trying to say that, Trevor. <laughs> we want you to be a good dad to your children, Trevor. Do you see? It's just, to me, it's this misplaced or in- inaccurate way of understanding what we're talking about when you and, and all the research you've done and you sharing your story is not trying to take away from any of those mothers out there doing the best they can. It's just trying to make sure that fathers get their due. And because if we support fathers, then won't they rise to the occasion more so? I mean, I'm hoping that one of the end results of everything you're doing and all your work will help fathers know, hey, I do matter. So let me step up my game. (laughs) Right, right. No, and you know what? That's it. There's so much in just what you said there. Uh, You know, if you look at certain people in society and, and certain people that may even have a voice, they'll tell you in a lot of cases that dads don't matter. And it's just so sad, you know, that you have these people of influence that are coming out and saying this as if men don't matter, as if dads don't matter. And back to your story, I think if you would have been able to even dig a little deeper within that young lady, I think even you would have you would have seen some anger in that and the fact that she was so defensive of her mom. And I think ultimately you would have seen that there if you'd have been able to have a real conversation with her, because I've seen that over and over again, too. I have many single moms that that reach out to me at times and are very mad and upset. And, And I'm like, look, I grew up with a single mom. I get it. You know, I understand how hard it is. I know. And you know what? It's hard enough just to be mom. So I try to explain to them, encourage them, you know, find a male role model, somebody there within your family dynamic or or neighbors or friends or lily coach or pastor, whoever it is, and just ask them to come over and hang out for once a week or once a month with your daughter or son, just so they understand and know what the positive male role model looks like. Because if you don't, and they're picking up from TV and movies and everything else like I did, then they're going to have a very distorted view of what that looks like. Listen, to empower dads and to appreciate dads and to recognize their importance doesn't diminish moms. It, it, this, these are two different things we're talking about here. And so it makes me sad that, the, that there's conflict there and tension sometimes. Hi, this is Damia Jackson. I am an avid listener of Dr. Karen's Love and Life podcast. It empowers, educates, and informs me to make better decisions in my life. I am happy that this resource is available to me. Even looking at media, and I've had this conversation with so many different people, if you look at the TV shows and and movies, you know, it's very, very hard to find one that has an incredible role model uh, depicted as a father. You know, most of them are just these knuckleheaded goofballs that, you know, they're there for the comedic relief, right? And so right, right. As, as much as we try to play that off and, and act like, oh, it's just for TV, our kids are paying attention to that and they're seeing it. And, and they begin to develop their own impression of what it's supposed to be. Well, yeah. I mean, the Homer Simpson dad, right? I mean, he's kind of, he's, I mean, Simpsons have been on for like 27 years or something. I think more that our media and our pop culture are a reflection of our societal values. I'm not saying that Homer Simpson is the reason that dads aren't good. I mean, you know, or the dads aren't respected, <laughs> but it's a reflection of our values and fathers have been devalued. And, and that's a huge problem. And even like commercials, They'll have the dads always 
screwing up the laundry and he's the buffoon. And it's so problematic when you think about what a man should be and the impact he should have. And yet we're undermining his authority in very subtle, sneaky ways without realizing it as a culture. Yeah. And that's, you know what, to, to go a little bit further on that too, I think there's so many men out there that don't know how to be a father because they didn't have that model for themselves. You know, I, I run into typically two types of men. It's the guy who wants to be a great father. He just doesn't know how because it wasn't modeled for him, because he had a, an absent father or, or whatever the case is. And then there's the dad out there that thinks he's doing a good job, but he could be doing so much more. He thinks he's doing a good job because he's comparing himself to, to Joe, the guy next door. Well, Joe's spending five minutes with his kids a day. So, you know, he's thinking, well, if I spend 10 minutes, man, I'm super dad. <laughs> you know, So <laughs> it's this idea. And, and as men, we're very competitive like that, right? So it's, again, it's how do we help men understand the significant lifelong impact that they have every day on their kids? And then how do we help them walk in that? And I think in trying to do that, we can kind of kind of develop that band of brothers, if you will, to where we can begin to rely on one another and get insight from others. And that's one of the other things that we're really bad at as fathers. We're, we're bad at having very, very close friends that we can tell our deepest, darkest secrets to mm -hmm. and not be ashamed or whatever. And so it's important that we have those supporters and those guys around too that can kind of help us walk through the journey. Absolutely. And I love in the film you have, you know, you talk about the father wound and then you give so many different examples. Like you were saying here that there's dads who, they have no clue how to be a dad because they didn't have that model themselves. And then dads that are thinking, I guess I'm doing all right because really the bar is set so low nowadays <laughs> that, that they don't realize that, hey, I could be doing a really solid job if I could just get a little bit more, again, support, like you said, band of brothers. And and the father wound is something that I find really fascinating. And you had women, I, I mean, I love that you had so many different types of individuals on uh, who who were willing to share their stories. I mean, from exotic dancers who were saying, you know, it's not like a girl who had a really strong father figure that's going to hop up on a stage and, and run around that pole. I mean, right? I mean, that's not the girl who does that. It's the girl who just desperately needed that affirmation that she was okay as a woman. And that's, that's so sad to see that then she steps into a life where she continues to be abused, essentially. There was a story, and I've told this story over and over and over again, and I, but I love it. It's one of those stories you never get enough of. And uh, we interviewed Dr. Meg Meeker for the film, and she's a pediatrician by trade. Love her stuff. She's just so down to earth and just such an amazing lady. And we were talking with her during during some takes and making the film and she was sharing a story with me she said john she said you know i started seeing the way i became a, an author is i started seeing all of these young women that were coming in my office and it was 16 15 14 13 years of age they were getting younger and younger and younger being sexually active and she said so i started digging in and doing some research and so that's kind of a backstory as to how she became an author but she said you know, on more than one occasion, I would have a young 13, 14-year-old come in my office. I'd go give her a physical. And before she left, she'd say, hey, Dr. Maker, can you write me a, a prescription? And she would look at him and say, what? You're fine. You checked out fine. You're totally healthy. What do you need a prescription for? And they would say, it doesn't matter what it's for. I just needed to say at the bottom, cannot have sex. 
And she said, John, what was happening is these young girls were having sex. It wasn't physically or emotionally pleasurable, but it was the only affection and attention they were getting. They weren't getting any kind of positive affection or attention from their fathers. So this was their permission slip Mm -hmm. to go and give to little Johnny to say, hey, Johnny, I can't have sex anymore. Wow. Oh my God. So as a, as a man, as a dad with three daughters, that was, you know, for me, it was one, yeah. one of the many, many wow moments uh, that I experienced through making the film. And, and then I talk about it a lot in the book, too. So it's that, that that's, you know, as a dad walking away from that, I just was like, whoa, I'm calling my girls right now. I'm going to get each one of them and I'm going to hug and kiss and <laughs> you know, that type of deal. Yeah. And tell him not to have sex, because wouldn't it have been nice if she could have said, you know, my dad will kill me if I have sex. So sorry, Johnny. Yeah. I mean, how great. So she was looking for. Someone give me a boundary. Someone give me a parameter that says I can't do this. One of the other things that Dr. Meekter talked about, she said, you know, it has an incredible influence if dad will just sit down and talk to his daughters and just tell them what his expectations are in a very loving way and just say, hey, here's what I think about sex. Here's what I believe. And just really lay it all out there. And she said, just as a result of having a conversation like that, it it increases their chances exponentially that they won't have sex. Hi, this is Kate from Chicago. The dating scene can be tough. And when I need a little encouragement, I turn on Dr. Karen's Love and Life to get a reminder that staying true to myself is the most important thing. You know, another... uh portion of the film that really struck me, and correct me if I have this wrong, but from what I took away from the film that you, for a long time, didn't want to know anything about your dad. I can understand that. Your dad left you, and he chose to do that. And I've dealt with folks in the past who have had fathers commit suicide, and there is this added level of, of hurt because if dad dies of cancer, dad didn't choose to leave me. But if dad kills himself, what are you supposed to think as a, as a son? Dad chose to go. And so it sounds like initially you you didn't want to know anything about your dad. You were going to be fine. Just go on. And, and, and like we've talked about, you were also trying to prove to him, even though he was gone, that you were good enough and so forth. But then it sounds like as you started to really dig deep within yourself and start your own journey toward healing, there was a part of you that then did need to know about your father you did want to understand his circumstances, what led him to commit suicide. And then that allowed you to kind of view him with your adult eyes, which allowed you then to begin to forgive him. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. And that's exactly it. You know, as a young man, um, I was very, very ashamed of what my father had done. I was very um, guilt-ridden because I had found the gun that he actually killed himself with about two weeks before he did it. Um, and he, I was digging around in his closet and I came upon this gun as of course as an 11 year old. I'm like, wow, that's cool. You know, it's an 11 year old boy. And, uh, within seconds he was standing over me and just gave me this very stern boy, get out of here. Don't ever tell anybody you've seen this. Um, and so, you know, of course, as a young man, I played that scene over and over in my head many times. Well, if I had just gone to my mom, if I would have said something, you know, those type of deals. And, and so when a father leaves in the instance that my dad did by suicide, you know, the thing I struggled with was anger, 
unworthiness, abandonment, all of these things. And if my dad wasn't willing to stick around, you know, I wasn't worth willing to stick around for. And if my dad, you know, doesn't think I'm I'm worthy enough, who else is going to think I'm worthy enough? And so there was all these things that began to to cross my mind. And and so for the next 30 years, I just I really suffered just trying to walk through life confused, fear played a big part in my life. And I still struggle with fear even today in various things. And so there's these things that, that you know, have been lifelong issues for me as a result. And uh, at one point, though, I did. I had to step out of that victim mentality and and finally start to take responsibility for my own actions. You know, I loved blaming my dad on my drinking and all the issues and worries that I had. It was so easy <laughs> to justify it, Right. And I loved playing that that victim mentality. And so as I got to a place in my life, and I think it particularly plays itself out in so many individuals as you start to have kids. You know, you may have this father wound and you may have these major issues as a result. But when you start to have kids, you start to then think back through some things. And, and because none of us are perfect, you know, I, I knew I was wounding my kids and I didn't have a clue as to what I was doing as a father and I was doing the best I could, but there were so many different ways I wounded my kids. And so as I began to walk through that journey, I, uh, I, and I found forgiveness from my father, I could not hear enough stories about him. Even to this day, I love when my uncles or whoever start telling stories about my dad. It's just, I think everybody has this incredible curiosity to know what your dad was like as he was younger and, and all these other things. And so as I piece those parts together, and came to really know my dad as a man, as a very imperfect, scarred, wounded individual like all of us are, that's when the dots began to be connected. That's when I had this compassion for my father. And that's when it what ultimately led me to the forgiveness. I mean, I can't even imagine just, just the pain involved with all of that. And the courage it took to finally face him to the best that you could possibly understand him and then to let go of anger to the extent you possibly could and then step into compassion and forgiveness. I mean, that's, that is just powerful. And that was, that was I think, a, a, something that I couldn't even say the word dad in counseling sessions. And I'm a huge advocate of counseling now that I walked through it. You know, before then, I remember going in my counseling sessions and I was whispering to my wife, don't tell anybody I'm going to see a counselor. <laughs> you know, because there's this idea as men, we can't show any weakness or vulnerability or be real about our issues. So, uh, but, but my counselor was my Aaron to Moses. He was my guy that encouraged me. He called me out on my BS, if you will. Uh, you know, he, he just really loved on me. And so, uh, it, it, man, I, I, you know, I say I wouldn't be where I'm at today if it wasn't for him. And, and I really do believe that because he really helped me process so much of this and really, uh, walked me through that journey, uh, for about three months. And it was the toughest time of my life, but this is what I'll say. And I tell everybody this, you know, that we all want the, the, we all want the resurrection without the crucifixion. Uh, I heard that quote one time, and I thought, man, that's an amazing quote. And I can't even recall who said it. But we all want the 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 you know the resurrection without the the pain of the crucifixion. 
And so I had to go through this three-month period, and every man and woman's journey is different. But I had to go through this period of really diving deep and, I mean, days worth of crying and just really working through these crazy life issues. I had to go through that to get on the backside of this and to come through at ultimately, I, I believe, as the person that God created me to be. Because for me, I couldn't continue to walk with this incredible baggage of unforgiveness and, and be who he created me to be. So, you know, it's it's a tough, tough thing. And, and, and again, everybody's journey is different. But I cannot encourage people enough uh, to, to, to take that step and really start looking into the, their relationship with their father and how it molded and, and has shaped them into who they are today. I just appreciate that. And I appreciate you sharing and being so vulnerable because I think about people who, and like you said, I mean, everyone's journey is different, but I see when people cling to that victim role and they have every reason, like you had every reason to be angry. You had every reason to drink. You had every reason to do whatever the heck you wanted because you had been wronged horribly. You were an 11 year old boy, but staying in that state was not bringing you joy, was not helping you thrive to be the man that you were designed to be. You know, it wasn't helping you thrive in your marriage and, and thrive as a father. So people have a hard time though nowadays, and I'm sure you get some pushback with this as well. I mean, people nowadays are very comfortable. This is the reason I'm, I'm victimized, and this is why you need to be sensitive to me, and don't you dare take away my struggle because it's my pain and you don't get it. And I'm thinking, no, I don't. But I also know that dwelling in pain is no way to live. <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're, it's so sad, and I see it. It's not just a father wound. I see it all over the place in this victim mentality. Right. There is so much anger and bitterness and resentment that even takes as far as energy to live in that victim mentality. Yeah. You know, it's like, right. well, if you just took that energy and placed it somewhere else as a more positive, joyful, you know, self, you could do so much, but. But people love it. And you know what? I did because it just it allowed me to rationalize and justify all my stupid mistakes and all my bad behavior. And so it was like this cycle that was that wasn't stopping. You know, so I do all these stupid things and drink and whatever. And then I could. Well, you know, it's because of this. And then I could I could easily justify it. And, and because of my dad and you don't understand. I know that what you just said. You know, I, uh, you don't know, man, uh, my dad committed suicide. I, I would walk through this. And, and so I could rationalize and justify anything, any behavior I wanted. It was a bad situation for sure. Yeah. And like we said, I mean, it was keeping you from the fullness that, that you were meant to experience in this life. And so, again, I'm just so thankful that you're sharing your story and, and writing it down and the, and the film. I guess as we kind of wrap up, what are some of the takeaway messages you have. So if I have a listener, a young woman, young man who has experienced the the father wound, what are some of your kind of your, your go-to suggestions and recommendations to really work through and, and and get to their own fullness of living? Sure. First first and foremost, you've got to admit you you've been wounded. You know, that's the biggest thing. Pride pride keeps us from from admitting that we're wounded and that um, you know, that we have things that we've got to work through. So many people I run into, you know, they're even scared to to have conversations with their father because they believe they're dishonoring their father, you know, when they're talking about these things. And the real life, truthful honesty 
of what's happening. And, and we've got to get beyond that. You're not dishonoring your father by wanting to have these conversations and be open and honest about how he hurt you and wounded you. That's just what we need to do to, to get through to, to, to healing. So it, admitting that we're wounded, I think, is the biggest thing. And then secondly is, is again, I'm a huge advocate of counseling. So I think it's very, very important to, to get connected with the right people, a professional that knows what they're talking about, that's been through this process, and again, can help kind of guide you through the process. And then ultimately, number three is, is getting a close group of people uh, that you can share your, your, your issues with, that you can talk about the father wound with, that you can get advice from, guidance from. I believe God you know, puts people in our lives that can help us walk some of these walk through some of these tough times. So as men, it's it's very important for us to get a band of brothers, uh, just a couple of close knit guys, or or at least two or three that we could share some of these things with and talk with uh, about. And as as a group of ladies, ladies typically don't have an issue like we do as men, <laughs> you know, with, <laughs> with being able yeah. to talk through these things and have these great friendships and. Uh, so with ladies that that's so, so easy. And then of course, the fourth one is just, just asking God for help. I mean, God's, God longs to help you walk through this and help you find healing and freedom and, and, uh, and everything as a result. And, and so I think it's very, very important to, to ask, you know, to not forget him because he's the one ultimately, uh, that's going to show you the way. So I think those, those four steps is typically what I would recommend to anybody that, thinking through this journey and, and figuring out if they have a following. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for that. And can you let my listeners know where to find you um, so that they can follow you or get a hold of the book and get a hold of the film and just let, let them know where you are on social media and so forth? Sure. So our website is thefathereffect.com and that's effect with, an, with E. And then on social media, on Twitter, we're at the Father Effect. Got the Father Effect group page on Facebook. And so you can find a lot of that through the website. And I'll add one thing, one last thing here as we end, just to give a lot of people hope here. And I tell people this all the time. Look, if I can do this, I am the biggest knucklehead there is. <laughs> okay, <laughs> If I can do this, anybody can do this. And so I hope we've, we've given some people some hope and encouragement today and, and just pray that, that some hearts are open and, and stirred and, and maybe lives changed. Absolutely. Thanks again, John. I really appreciate it. Thank you. The love and life hack for this week is Dads Matter. It's very simple. You can listen to John's story. You can look at the stats. But the evidence is clear. Dads matter. Thank you so much for subscribing and liking the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Spreaker at Dr. Karen Love and Life. Please sign up for my Love and Life newsletter on my website, drkaren.me, D-R-K-A-R-I-N dot me. And let's connect on social. On Twitter, I'm at Dr. Karen Anderson. Facebook, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. And Instagram, I'm at Dr. Karen, D-R-K-A-R-I-N. Thanks to my producer, Michelle Musso, my communications manager, Chip Gregory, and my booking assistant, Christine Infanger. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, make it a great week. <laughs> <laughs>